If you're following along in your Bibles, we're in Mark chapter 3. I think we've talked about this before, but the, the Gospels are not always as chronological as we'd like. They're generally chronological, but they're sometimes just thematic, and it's sometimes tough to find, figure out where we are geographically, which is one of the cases here. Uh, as you look at verse 1, again, he entered the synagogue, uh, which if it was written and we were there, we would probably know what synagogue he was talking about. It's most likely in Capernaum we've come off, he's had some, uh, I was going to say debates, but discussions, we'll say, with uh, some of the leaders about Sabbath regulations, and that's going to continue as we get more and more. And the whole idea is to get to know God better. I don't know if you knew that. If you're wondering why you ever get into your Bible, that should be your main reason. Uh, get to know God better. Start with him and you'll come in real strong. If you start with yourself, sometimes he doesn't work his way in as well as maybe he should. So we can know God in a number of ways. Uh, worship, when we do ordinances, uh, when we pray, when we serve. But the main way to know God is through his son, and the main way to know his son is through his word. <laughs> so that's why we spend a lot of time in the Bible, is again, but think about that. How does this help me know God better? And what's our goal here? Know him better and understand this text based on what the author wanted it to mean, not what you want it to mean. And sometimes that can bite you in various places, but, uh, but I think we have to be Careful not me putting our own meaning into it. At least try as best we can what did the author intend. So verse 1, again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath. So they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around with them, at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out immediately, held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. And we've talked about this before. I say, you know, wouldn't it be cool? And I think at some level it would be cool. For you guys who are younger than me, cool means, means uh, good. Uh, does we still use cool? Well, that's cool. Uh, so I <laughs> came in the 50s, I think. Uh, you guys should watch, uh, what is it, Happy Days and get all that lingo. Yeah, but, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's cool. It, it's neat to come, when we come to these things, to see what's happening. Wouldn't it be cool if we had a miracle? You know, I mean, I, I've prayed for them before. Um, I, I, we certainly don't believe that God can't do one, uh, but it's always what would happen if there was one in our church, and I'll let your mind take care of that. Uh, I'll just say one thing that I think would happen is we'd probably get a higher attendance until we quit doing them, and then it'd probably start dwelling again. And here's an example. It doesn't mean it always happens this way. It doesn't always happen this way. But this is one descriptive example of what happens when there's a healing. You know, because if, 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 if there's a miracle healing, everybody's going to like it, right? And everybody's going to like Jesus, and everybody's going to follow him, right? 
how to destroy him is the last four words of verse 6. Did they not get the memo that when healings happen, you, f- you follow the dude that does them? They don't like this. They're not, they don't always give you what you think they would. It's on the Sabbath. This appears to be Jesus' design. He's, I think he wants to do it on the Sabbath. Um, I could be wrong, but it seems like he's, I mean, he could have waited, right? Um, and think about it. There was, we do have context. You always want to do this. Again, one of the things maybe we, we do it in Bible studies. It's a little harder to do in sermons, but we want, I want to, we want to equip you to be able to try to understand the Bible for what it truly means. That's our goal. And give you ways to do that. Well, the, the word you probably heard it many times. It's not a hard word. But it's context. What is the context? Historical, geographical, literary, all that. What's going on here? And we try to do the movie thing. I do anyway. If you were there, what would this be like? You know, and I, I told you before, I always have to close my eyes and then I don't want to fall off the stage, so I won't do that right now. But try to imagine what this would be like if you were there. Um, now, and what was the cultural context? It was okay at that time to heal. You just couldn't do it on the Sabbath. And it had to be kind of life-threatening. You know, that was Sabbath regulations. Well, you know, this guy's got a withered hand, but, it, you know, got another hand. So it's really not life-threatening. I don't know for sure. This is my best guess. I think it's very plausible, mostly probable, that Jesus did this on the Sabbath and did a non-life-threatening healing just to see where they were. Um, because we don't get what the disciples think. The disciples are, if we remember through Mark, the disciples are fi- trying to figure out who this guy is. And as a disciple, you should be doing the same thing. And you, you think you know, right? We take this Lord, Savior, God, King, you know, all these things, teacher, rabbi. Sometimes I think in evangelical churches, we try to get people to get to the cross a little too quick. And I know that sounds kind of bad. But notice Jesus doesn't do that. He takes three years with these guys. I'm not saying it takes three years, but might. Would it not be better to really follow him when you knew where he, who he was than to try to blindly follow him and walk away when you really didn't know who he was or he's not who you wanted him to be or how that works? And we'll talk about somebody who did that toward the end. But look, his, his hand was, was weathered, instantly restored. He's in the synagogue to teach. That's what you go to do. But it does appear in this case, which is not all all that common, he initiates the healing. Uh, So you look at the response. You have the man's response. Notice he's already in the synagogue. Who knows how long he's been there? We don't know how old this guy is. We don't know what his name is. We don't know anything about him other than he's got a withered hand. So in the history of the world, this guy's known as withered hand guy but not anymore, right? So his response, we don't really have, other than he stretched it out. Do we know if he had faith? I don't know. Maybe. He had faith enough to say, okay, give it a shot, or maybe, hey, I think this guy can do I don't know. It's your movie. You do what you want with it. Jesus does it. What about the crowd? That comes a little bit later. They like these. They like these miracles. Like I said, I... I think that that is on our, isn't for elders that are here, I don't know if that's on our five-year plan, but we should put it on do more miracles and get attendance up. Uh, you know, that's the, uh, and again, I, I know it's tongue-in-cheek, but uh, I mean, we've all had times in our life where if God said, I'll give you a miracle, we say, okay, yeah, 
But what if he said he'd give you one? And just one. Powerball, there you go. <laughs> that might not be a bad idea because I'm sure Brian's that way. I'm the same way. If I, if I won the lottery, it would not affect me at all. I'd, I'd still be very benevolent. I would, I'd still be very humble. I've even got a shirt that says I'm humble. It's, it, it is that way, is it? You know, it it's, but if you think if you had one, one healing miracle that you could have, and God said you can have it, then I start thinking about who am I to decide who to give that to? Should I do it for myself? Should I do it for somebody close to me? Should I do it for somebody I read about on Facebook? Should I? I don't know. Yeah. Maybe we should get, it's the old Miss America answer, right? World peace, which would be a miracle. But I thought that's already what he came for. You know? So we do call him Prince of Peace. But you, you look at this, the Pharisees, if you see, he asked them a question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? These guys were supposed to know the Bible. Well, well, certainly it is. There's plenty of times when that happens. But is it good to do harm or do good? You know, there he's, he's asking them, and they don't answer. They're quiet. It's not always true, but if you ask a good question and they don't answer back, usually that means they don't have a good answer. And the only good answer is the one you want them to say, but they won't say it because they don't want to make, they don't, you know, you can't win an argument if you say somebody's right and you're wrong. And then you have the, the Herodinians. These were people who were sympathetic to Herod, maybe that crossed over with the Pharisees, um, the political idea, but they're coming against him. We're only in chapter 3 in Mark, and they're already trying to kill him. It didn't take very long. And Jesus just keeps going. So he withdraws. He withdraws, in verse 7, with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed him from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Udomenia and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. There's people from everywhere coming. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him, and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. You know, I always thought, couldn't he do that, you know, Jedi mind trick? Or, you know, I mean, it, it's interesting how Jesus works here. Um, he, he does some things, he does miracles, but then when it comes to some of the, the consternation between the leaders, he just kind of gets out of the way. You know, he doesn't just, you know, kind of smack them all down so he can walk through, uh, at least not very often. Verse 10, they were going to crush it, for he had healed many so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. So that's a little bit of our answer if miracles were started. I mean, we, you, people are going to follow. Why not? Wouldn't you? I mean, if you found out somewhere else in Denison Center in our area that, that you really felt that there was miracles being done and you had someone in your family that could use one, would you take them? I'd certainly think about it. They pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. In verse 12, you're going to see through Mark a lot. And what does he say? You guys need to, you demons, you crowd, you need to go tell people who I am. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. It's, it's in Mark a lot. It's in all the Gospels. And we'll talk about why. So the crowds are coming all over Palestine, and it appears that Galilee is the center of religious life. 
You know, this is not normal. Jerusalem is supposed to be the center because what's in Jerusalem? The temple's in Jerusalem. That's where, you, that's where you access God. And Jesus goes to Jerusalem. If you want those encounters, those are mostly in, in the Gospel of John. The other three talk more about Galilee and that area. So it's kind of weird. It's, it's really, they thought Galilee was the sticks. You know, it's, it's, I'm trying to use a good example. It'd be like prefer from Des Moines thinking they got everything and they're going to Chiron to get, you know, get the best teaching. You know, it's just, uh, uh, and you get that in later. They're, the Galilee, they apparently had an accent. That's how they told, if you remember when Peter's trying to deny him, and they, they understand he's one of his disciples because he talks like a Galilean. I lived in Austin, Texas for three years. And I got this a lot, especially if I preached. You ain't from around here, are you? I know I'm not. But I always wondered if I could do a sermon with a southern accent. I don't think I could. I can't talk that slow. However, I did learn quickly that just because someone talks slow doesn't mean they're stupid. One of the best lines I ever heard was one of our, he was the president of the, of the seminary, and there was a discrepancy, discussion problem, and I was on one, you know, we were just asking questions, and, you know, I gave my little piece, couple sentences, and then the other person gave theirs, a little bit longer, actually quite a bit longer. And then she said, what do you think? And I'll never forget, he's just sitting there, he's like... Well, I guess I could start thinking now. I, to this point, I've just been listening. And he gave some of the most wise advice after that. And so slow. I had to write like six pages to get a sermon, and they could do it in two. It's, it's just different. It's a different way of doing it. Maybe someday I'll do a sermon in a Palestinian accent. That would even be more fun, wouldn't it? But anyway, these, these people, the center, Galilee is the center. That's not normal. And the regions around it seem to include what Israel, when the judges came in, this is what was, it's kind of delineating where this was supposed to be. So everybody that Jesus came to, all of Israel, is there. And what's the main reason? They heard that he was doing. Now remember, his main reason for going out was to teach the word. The, the, the miracles and the, and the driving out of the demons are actually secondary always in Jesus' mind, but the reason they're coming is for the secondary stuff. But the healing miracles seem to be the main point. doesn't make that wrong. I'm not saying that. It's just a problem. Like this guy. Do we hear about Withered Hand Guy anymore? Not that we know of. Is he in heaven? We have to guess, right? I mean, I hope so. Is he in heaven because Jesus healed his hand? No. He'd be in heaven because he followed. We talked about that during communion. Because his sins were washed away. That's not even talked about here, although it may have happened. We just don't know. And then we get these. The only people who understand at this point who he really is are the unclean spirits. They're saying, you're the son of God. That's the, oh, at this point, it's the only beings that have said that. What are the, what are the disciples calling? Rabbi. That's, that's what they see him as. He's a teacher. They know it's probably more going on here. And what does he tell again? I said that. What does he tell them? 
What does he tell the demons? It's like, you know, there's that old thing out there, all press is, is good press. You know, so I suppose if we wanted to get the church name out, we could do something really stupid and then get it out in the press because all press is good press. Well, apparently Jesus doesn't buy into that. You know, it seems like he wants them to be silent because he wants true believers to witness about him, not demons. And think about that in, in our culture. It's like, is just knowing about who Jesus is all that we're asked to do by God's word? You know, later we'll get the line, even the demons believe. Was that the level of belief that God's looking for? They know who he is. But what difference does it make? Do you know who Jesus is? It doesn't change your life and how you live and what you look forward to and what you accept and how you relate to him. It's really irrelevant. On who, what you think he is, it's how you live because of that. And then you get the 12. And he went up on a mountain and called to him those who he desired and they came to him, and he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and might be sent them, send them out to preach. So that tells you kind of why eventually they're going to uh, be with him. And have authority to cast out demons. He appointed 12. And this is one of the lists. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boandrus, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. That's where you get the dun-dun-dun. You know, we don't know. We, we get that information. We can read ahead. They don't. They don't know this yet. Then he went home and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. So the crowds keep coming. He's got these 12. Now, there probably are a number of reasons. That's what we're going to hit here toward the end here. What? Why did he choose 12? And why did he choose these 12? I don't know. You can raise your hand if you want to. Um, there's, there was a, a British preacher back probably a couple generations ago named... Peter William, he was a, a, a storyteller, and he, he wrote a sermon about this, and, and what happens is in this sermon, all the disciples come in, and then he kind of rationalizes, and we're on the committee, and we decide whether this guy, you know, the first guy comes, and he smells like fish. I think he said a cuss word under his breath, and he just seems a little impetuous, you know, nah, Simon Peter, he's out. Next, Andrew comes in. Well, he's his brother. Pfft, see ya. You know, and you go through, um, and you can. There's one that actually qualifies, and you could probably guess who that is. You know, that's it's kind of a, it's an interesting sermon. Uh, Peter Marshall, did I say? Yeah, that's his name. So why did he choose twelve? Well, there were tribe trails of Israel. Twelve tribes. So twelve. Those numbers come up, and being a math geek, I love that. So three, seven, twelve, forty. Right? Almost. There's so much of that. The 40 thing, it took that long for the rain to come. That's, I know they were in the wilderness 40 years. Jesus was in the desert 40 days. Seven is a perfect number. You get seven candlesticks and seven, all this seven stuff. Um, seven less one is the evil number. I'll let you do the math there. Uh, 
and three all over the place. Uh, so, so 12. If you go, we did this, we hit Revelation 21 and 22 really hard when we went through the heaven series. But if you go, this is talking about the new Jerusalem who comes down out of heaven. And in verse 12 of chapter 21, it says, it had a great high wall with 12 gates. There you go again. Not 11 gates. And certainly not 13. There's, we've got floors, or uh, excuse me, buildings that don't have a 13th floor. I'm sorry there actually is. Just because you call it the 14th floor, it's still the 13th floor. You can walk around after you're 12 and you turn the next age and call yourself 14 if you want. You're still 13. It's just funny how we get superstitious about those things. But, uh, and at the gates, 12 angels. And on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were described. This is in the new heaven and the new earth, bringing that back, 12, 12, 12. If you read it, there's three on each side. And I don't know if you knew that cities were always, why did they make cities back in those days? Protection. What's always around a city? A wall. But the problem with this city is all the gates are always open. It's not there for protection. It's there for communal life. And then you, you move on. On the east three gates, and on the north three gates, and on the south three gates, and on the west three. As you get three on each side. You got your movie going here? Okay. And, and the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. I just think that's cool. There's a, there's a correlation between the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles as we go. Now remember, disciple is a word that means to discipline. That's where that comes from. A follower, one who goes uh, and, and follows the teachings of the teacher that they're disciples of. Apostle means sent out one. It means one who has power and authority to do something for the teacher or the one sending them out. And what we do in our church, and, and not that the Greek or the Hebrew has this, but there's, there's the word sent out. I mean, I could tell you that I'm a little thirsty and send you out of here to get me some coffee. And if I was writing that in Greek, that would make you an apostle. But that's not what we're talking about here either. There's the big A apostle, these 12. And then there's a the little A where people are sent out. We, we, we have missionaries that we help send out. That's, that's an app, but it's not the same as these guys. Does that make sense? Uh, it's the idea of these guys are unique. You know, we had that with the children's sermon. How many people have walked with Jesus in Palestine? Well, not very many. And he chose these. So what's, there's a lot of things going on here, and we don't know at all about why he chose those. But most likely, this is to show the fulfillment of God's work through the leadership of the old covenant Israel and the apostles. This is the fulfillment of what was always promised. Because really, it's God's people that we're talking about. And also, because the crowds were following Jesus for ultimately the wrong reasons, you know, you, most of them probably weren't saying, oh, come and see Jesus because he really gives a good sermon. I mean, I know that's why you're here, but boy, that didn't go over at all. <laughs> Setting apart, he sets apart a few to train, to empower as leaders. It's a good way to make sure the truth gets out. Because remember, we can go through each book if you want, then take that long. 
Every book is either written in the New Testament, all 27 are either written by an apostle or an associate of the apostle, or in Mark. This is John Mark, who's an associate of Peter, and knew Paul really well. Luke was also an associate of Paul. Matthew and John were both apostles themselves. So this is probably why he did it. He does do that. Leadership is something he wants. But why these 12? You know, it's, it's always intriguing. You go into the upper room discourse. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that wherever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. And remember, always, when you read the Bible, understand who the pronouns refer to. Who is you here? This is the upper room. Were you in the upper room? Neither was I. Does that mean it doesn't mean anything to me? That's not the point. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the 12 here. Well, actually, this time it's the 11. And you is plural here. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you're not of the world, because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. You did not choose me, I chose you. God knows why he did this. We're not given all that information. So here are the guys. This actually comes out of that, uh, the, the graphic Bible that we have. They're not too hard to remember. Um, you've got, uh, oh, my clicker is working. All right. Well, you can see as well as I can without my pointer. Um, they've got different, you know, you've got, you know, all those you can, trying to memorize these is not hard. There's just six couples of each of them. Um, I don't know if I like the artist rendition here. Uh, I think, I think Judas is too big, but, you know, it's their book. They drew it. They can do what they want, but he, he chose these, and this is one way to look at it, but this is another way to look at it. Um, I don't know if you've had the opportunity, um, but remember back in John 15, you did not choose me, but I chose you. I chose you guys, so you could kind of say they're the chosen. And there's a series out there now called The Chosen. I don't, is anybody watching that? I would encourage you to give it a shot. Um, don't make it a substitute for the Bible. It's not supposed to be. Uh, but it, what it does do is it does make Jesus and the apostles accessible. It does what I'm trying to do right now in this sermon is trying to have you relate to it. Now, you might not like that way that, you know, you look here, and if you've watched it, you get Peter and Andrew and John, and they call them Big James and Little James and Matthew and Thaddeus. You know, you've got all these Thomas. You've got all the disciples, and you start to get to know them a little bit. And they, what they do is they try to take the Bible and do the best they can. And I remember uh, the guy who did it is named Dallas Jenkins. He's an evangelical conservative guy, uh, very talented uh, but I think it's one way to do it. Again, if it replaces the Bible, I wouldn't do it. Uh, but I've always said that. It's kind of interesting. Well, before this chosen series started coming out, uh, I always said, you make your movie in your mind. You know, if you're thinking about Simon, what would he look like? If you're thinking about Jesus, what would, what, what's that going on here? What's that withered hand look like? What do these guys look like that are grumbling against him? All these types of things, your own movie. And then they went out and did a movie. They must have listened really close. It's one way to do it. And I like, I saw an interview with Dallas, and they, there's things that will happen in these 
these series and people won't like it. So I don't like when Jesus is doing this or when John is doing this or Peter's doing this. And I like, he's, he's pretty humble, but he'll say, you know what? Make your own movie. And I like that. It's like, you know, you tell me if you see this, I'm watching it so I can say, hey, do you, is this something maybe it'd be good to look at? This is much better than anything else you'll probably get on television. And it's not even on television. It's crowdfunded so nobody can tell them what to say. It's, uh, is it perfect? No. Are the things in there, I'm like, I wouldn't do it that way. Yep. <laughs> There's a bunch. The characters, but you start to get to know them. And I think that's good. And hopefully, if it's something you don't need and you're studying your Bible well, then don't do it. But I, from what I've seen, I've watched the first two seasons, I think, I think it's pretty good. It gets us, because isn't that what we're trying to do? We're trying to get to know Jesus, and that's what this is about. Um, and if you, again, if you don't like it, so we can make assertions of why he chose these particular 12. They make some calls about it. We know that Simon was a zealot, not Simon Peter, but the other Simon, who they affectionately call Z um, in The Chosen. Well, what was a zealot? Well, we had the Pharisees, we had the Herodians. These were people who were there to take Rome down. They were, they were trained to do it. They would do assassinations. More than likely, I think I'll say it's plausible, probably for my opinion, more likely than not, that the two thieves on the side, which would probably be better called two murderers on the side of Jesus, were probably zealots. They were probably up there because they were trying to overthrow Rome. And the guy, remember the guy's name? Who, do you want me to release Jesus or Barabbas? Now, Barabbas was an insurrectionist, which probably meant he was a zealot. So to have Simon the Zealot come in, I like, you have to do your own movie. You can watch the Chosen's version of this. But, you know, do, how, that had to be different. He had to change his views a lot. Because Jesus wasn't coming in to take over militarily, was he? So you have all these. Why did he choose these 12? There's no, I chose these 12 because line in the New Testament, but we can talk about it. They end up being, and then there's one guy that wasn't in there that shows up, and this is this guy down here, and his name is Judas. That's one that's very mysterious. Why did he choose Judas? We already read it. He betrayed him. Did Jesus know he was going to betray him? probably. So why did he choose him? Well, you've come here today and I'm going to give you the answer. I don't know. I can guess, but I don't know. And why does that help me? There's a lot we do know from this text, and I think it's good. There's a lot we can see. He's done these works. He's in Galilee. He's continuing to show his authority. We have all that. But there are some times in life when God does things or allows things that we don't know why. But when we read the rest of it, we kind of find out how we work through that. And Judas does get replaced. I don't know. Maybe because more people came to faith with Judas there than not. I don't know. It's a question I do have on my bucket list when I die, if I care at that time. Why did you choose Judas? You know, He might just say, well, people who know that are on a need-to-know basis and you don't need to know. That's very possible, and that's okay. Thank you. You can read Job 38 if you want to argue with God. Um, but he selects these 12. They end up being the ones that we get 
this information through. And we start seeing through these eyes of these chosen men, we start seeing a little bit about why he's here and how long it took him to understand that. And as you go through life here, you start, these, this is the apostles. Why don't we have apostles in our church? Because this is the apostles. The Bible is the apostles. That is the authority. We believe that's what God wanted. It gives us your purpose. It helps you understand his plan. And so the best thing we can do to get to know God better is to get into his word. And you can do that. It's so easy. I've got 57 versions on here. I just want you to read one. Just to get to know him better. Whether you're worshiping or you're sitting at home or you're eating dinner, whatever you're doing, get to know him better through his word. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you that you give us this information. You give us this word. You give us this revelation. You reveal yourself so clearly in your son who shows us exactly what you're like. As we continue through this gospel and we see how your closest followers back then related to you and how it took them time, help us remember that it's about getting to know you better, not knowing it all, because we never will, only you do, but knowing it well enough to serve you well, to worship you well, and to live a life worthy of the calling that you give us. Amen.